Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. One thing that I know is that adversity comes knocking at everybody's door sooner or later. Life is full of adversity. Would you agree? Sure, there are good things about life, good times, good people, good experiences, but life certainly brings with it more than enough adversity as well. The question is not whether we have adversity in our life, but what we do with that adversity. For those of you who are in this place where you're saying, God, why? What is going on? I want to give you four facts about adversity that I pray are beneficial to you. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're celebrating Mother's Day this week, and if ever somebody was worth celebrating, it's our mothers. And mothers, like all of us, can know their share of adversity. Other than Jesus, I don't know anybody that probably comes closer to having to walk on water than than moms. That's why Pastor Clay's message today has relevance for mothers and all of us. As you'll hear today, Jesus sent his disciples out into a storm to teach them a very valuable lesson. It's a lesson that all of us need to learn for our good and for God's glory. Now here's Pastor Clay. It's appropriate today that uh, we look at and talk about uh, the miracle that takes place in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus walks on water. Uh, Now that's appropriate because uh, other than Jesus, I don't know anybody that probably comes closer to having to walk on water than than moms. Uh, What what they are called to do, what they have to pull off, uh, the things they have to put together, the time they put in, the effort, the energy. Uh, That job description was awesome. That, That guy was was giving because that's what y'all do as moms. And again, we just are so grateful uh, to you. Not everyone is in the same place, though, in, in their life. Some of you who are here today, or some of you who perhaps will hear this message, man, li- life, is, life is good. Life is, life is going pretty good for you. It's going along and you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good time. I'm in a good place. Every time I hear anybody say that, I'm in a good place in my life. Some of you uh, may be at a place where, you know, your, your lives are, are really busy. They're really hectic. There's a lot going on, but, but, but things are, but things are good. You know, maybe there's a little bit of uh, some, some stuff here and there, but, but it's okay. Some of you may be here and you feel like, quite honestly, you are drowning in your circumstances. It's something I would describe, it, almost, it would almost feel like what I would call an anvil of adversity sitting on your chest. And it is crushing the life out of you. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Has anybody, has anybody ever experienced something like that in their life? So... If you're here today and, you know, hey, things are good. We're, yeah, we're busy or we're going along, but, but things are good. That, that's great. It really fantastic. Um, I, I would encourage you, you may want to just tuck this one away uh, for future use. Because one thing that I, that I know is that adversity comes knocking at everybody's door sooner or later. And for those of you who... Have that anvil sitting on your chest, even maybe right now this morning. Maybe a a mom that's in this place this morning, or or any one of us. And you feel that pressure, and it feels like the adversity is against you. And 
and you are in this place where you're saying, God, why? What is going on? I want to give you this morning uh, four facts about adversity that I pray uh, are beneficial to you uh, when you leave here this morning. See, that's the idea. It's not just that, uh, that you don't have any place else to spend the next 45 minutes. It's that, that you walk out of here with tools or better equipped or with more knowledge or, or even inspiration or whatever it is that you would leave this place and say, all right, all right, I, I know a little more about God or I feel a little closer to God or I understand a little more about what's, what's going on. That's always my prayer. Open your Bibles, if you have a copy with you, to Mark chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be reading, beginning this morning in verse 45 to the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 6, and uh, you know, listen, let me, let me say this. If, if you came today and really were super expecting a, and were built up and just chomping at the bit for a Mother's Day message, specific Mother's Day message, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, and I do that from time to time, special occasions. I'll, I'll bring some sort of message specifically for that. But I, I just, the longer I live, the longer I do this, I, I've just found that, that it is amazing what God can just do if you're, if you're in a text, what God can do with that text to speak into the heart of a mom or anybody else in here this morning, speak directly into their heart in their life. So we're staying right here in this series, Jesus, the real action hero. And I pray that he does some action in our lives today. Chapter 6, the text is on the screen as well. Immediately, uh, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. If you were with us last week, you know that it's, in, it's re- referring to uh, what has just taken place, this miracle that Jesus has just done where he has fed, uh, we traditionally think of there are 5,000 men, but when you add in uh, the children and the women, there was somewhere in the neighborhood 8, 10, possibly as much as 12,000 people gathered there on that shore. Jesus fed with five uh, individual single little barley loaves and two fish. He fed the entire people until they were full, and as we looked at last week, took up more than they started with. So that, that, that occurs, and immediately, that's, that's an action word of Mark. He uses that word a lot. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Hmm. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. By the way, Mark is the only one, this, uh, you guys know I love little tidbits here and there, Mark is the only one that adds that little phrase right there that, that Jesus intended to pass them by. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. That's not the reaction you expect when you see Jesus, is it? They all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them. And the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained, listen to this, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. But their heart was hardened. Well, wait a minute, this is the disciples. But their heart was hardened. Here's the first fact this morning. There is a purpose for adversity. 
I don't blame you. I wouldn't amen that either. <laughs> but that's not, I don't like that. There is a purpose for adversity. It seems pretty obvious in verse 45, quite honestly, that Jesus is setting this whole thing up. Jesus is setting his disciples up for this. We know from uh, John's recording of this account that right after the feeding of the 5,000, 8, 10,000, right after this, this miraculous feeding of the masses, some of the people gathered there decided that they were going to make Jesus king right then and there. Right? Hey, we want, we want Rome out. Rome's ruling, conquered Israel, ruling over Israel. We want Rome out. And uh, Jesus, uh, with his obvious power, seems like an obvious choice, so we want Jesus in. Now, let me say this, a a word of of, uh, positive about the crowd. They seemed to understand that Jesus was the the long-awaited promised one that was supposed to come. They seemed to have a, a grasp of that. But here's what they missed. They missed what his mission was. Without question... Having a righteous king on the throne would have made their lives better, right? The scriptures say that, 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 that the people always flourish when, when a righteous king is, is, in, is in control. There's no question that their lives would have been better if a righteous king was on the throne. But here's the deal. They would have still been in their sin. And so before a righteous king, they needed a redeeming savior, They needed someone to pay for their sins so that they could be in right relationship with him. Without question, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever, but that time was not yet. And so Jesus was not going to let them set him up as king. He wasn't wasn't going to let it happen. But here's the interesting thing. He doesn't get in the boat and leave with the disciples. Wouldn't that have, okay, you 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 don't make to make you king, just get in the boat and leave. But Jesus doesn't do that. He sends them out alone. Now, listen, we'll get to the, the, uh, the, the purpose of adversity uh, later. But at this point, all, all I'm trying to get you to understand is that there, there is purpose in adversity. There can be purpose in adversity. And here's something that you need to get your mind right. You need to get a hold of this idea. Adversity is not for God's amusement, but for our advancement. Is what you need to get this idea. Adversity is not for God's amusement. And then here's why I bring this up. Because you, you are, you're people, you're out in the world, you understand, you, you hear, hopefully you engage people at times, you try and share about your faith or your belief in God and what you believe Christ has done, and you hear some arguments from time to time. And some of those arguments come out of the camp, and I bring these guys up a lot because they're very popular right now. The, the people that I call militant atheists, not just a person that doesn't believe in God, but a militant atheist. A militant atheist doesn't just not believe in God. A militant atheist doesn't want you to believe in God. He doesn't want anybody to believe in God. He or she doesn't want anybody to believe in God. And anybody that does believe in God is, is ridiculed and subjected to harassment as a result of their, of their belief, often as a result of their belief in God. It, it's, it, it always strikes me as ironic that that they, that they tout themselves, they meaning athe- the militant atheists, they tout themselves as free thinkers and then insist that you freely think like they do. And when you don't, then 
you're ignorant or, or you're whatever. But anyway, one, one, of the, one of the arguments that militant atheists will sometimes use is they will attack the character of God. Listen to me. They'll attack the character of God, which I've said this before, but that, that strikes me as so ironic that they will attack the character of a God that they say doesn't even exist. But they will. They will attack his character. You'll hear this. You'll hear some people sometimes make this statement and they'll say things like, why, why would you even want to believe in a God like that? Look, look, at how he, look at how he treats people. Look at what's happened in your life. Is, is God just playing some sort of sick game with us? It was God just bored and he didn't have anything else to do. And so he just, he just got this whole thing started and he, and he pulls us around on strings like puppets and, and it's just for his amusement. You will hear that argument. And I want to say to you this morning before we move on that you get a hold of this idea, folks. Everything in God's Word from Genesis to Revelation tells us that God not only cares for you, listen to me, He not only cares for you wherever you are and that anvil's on you right now or whatever stage you're in in your life, He not only cares for you, He cares for you deeply, passionately. There is purpose. There is purpose in the adversity. All right, here we go. Here's the second idea. We have His presence in adversity. There is a purpose. We'll get to the purpose at, at the end. There's a purpose in adversity. We have his presence in adversity. Let me read verse 46, 48 uh, to 48 again. Uh, after bidding them farewell, so see y'all later. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, and seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. Now, uh, to, to make this statement to say that we have his presence uh, in the adversity, that may seem like a strange statement to you since the text clearly uh, tells us that Jesus was not in the boat with them. But listen, here's a good word for those of us that live today. Because Jesus is not physically with us right now, right? Right? He is not physically, bodily with us. Here's the good word for us. Just because Jesus was not in the boat with them did not mean that Jesus was not with them. Do you understand? you understand what that, what that means for your life? Just because Jesus physically, bodily is not sitting beside you in the seat right at this moment does not mean that he is not with you in your life. Let me remind you of a couple of ways that he is with you. Uh, first is this, they were always in his prayers. Verse 46 says, Jesus sends them off and then he goes up, after he sends the crowd off, and then he goes up to the mountain to pray. Now, certainly, I know this is a mysterious thing, but when we think about the whole thing, you know, God the Son is praying to God the Father, and there's a lot, there's a lot of, of mystery in all that. And certainly part of Jesus' purpose in prayer was this fellowship, this relationship that he had with the Father, and, and there was something about intimate, personal, set-aside, away-from-everybody-else prayer that, that is very special. Certainly that was part of it, but it, is, it, is not, uh, it would not be out of the realm of of possibility to think or to even believe that Jesus, that part of his prayer was the prayer for the disciples that he just sent out on the lake. Now, he's got a reason. He's got a purpose. We'll get to that. But that he is praying for them. We know from John chapter 17, the section that's called the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, we know that Jesus prays for you and for you and for you and all of us who are his followers. He prays for us. And that's an astounding thing. They were always in his prayers. Uh, second, they were never out of his sight. Now, this is another interesting one because verse 48 tells us that as he saw them pulling at the oars, 
in the midst of the storm that's come up, right? The wind is blowing, the boat is rocking more than nobody's business, and they are pulling like crazy at the oars. I got a question for you. How did he see them? How did he, how did he, because, listen, uh, we specifically, no, John specifically tells us, in John's account of this, John specifically tells us, listen, that they were, they were somewhere between two and three miles offshore from where they had started. Matthew and Mark tell us that it was the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night was somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now, let's even say that it was the very end of the watch. That it was right at 6 a.m. The text doesn't seem to indicate that, but let's say that it is. And maybe there's even the, the murkiest of light coming up in a storm-filled, cloud-filled sky. And they are two to three miles offshore, and Jesus can not only see them, he sees them pulling at the oars. In other words, he sees them straining, working in the midst of this storm. Listen, I, I don't... I just don't believe that in his humanity, in, in his humanity, that he could see what they were doing. But in his divinity, he could always see. In his divinity, as God, he knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly where they were in that storm. He knew exactly how hard the wind was blowing. He knew exactly how much the boat was rocking. He knew exactly how much they were pulling at those oars. They were never out of his sight. Uh, Billy Graham uh, in his uh, book, I think it's entitled uh, Angels, uh, The Secret Agents of God. Billy Graham tells this story about a pioneer missionary to uh, the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. Uh, this was in the mid-1800s. Uh, the missionary's name was John Patton. Uh, in the book, uh, Billy Graham tells this story about uh, when Patton uh, went to serve in the New Hebrides Islands, uh, very hostile environment, uh, some, some two other missionaries had gone there about a little less than 20 years earlier, had gone there from the same mission agency, sent them out, and as soon as they landed on the beach, within 10 minutes, they were attacked, killed, and eaten. They, they, were, they were cannibals on the islands. Uh, Patton and his wife go to minister in this same area. One night, while they were there, uh, they were attacked, or, or an attack, let me put it this way, an attack was coming. They had gotten word uh, that... Uh, Hostile natives were coming with the intent to burn down the, the mission home, the mission compound, and to murder uh, Reverend Patton and his wife. And they got down on their knees and they, and they prayed for God's protection and they, they prayed for God's presence in the midst of the situation and for his will uh, to be done. And in the morning they were amazed as they went outside to find that all of the natives, that, that they were gone, that, that no harm, no, no attack had ever come. While they had heard them out there, they, they saw the flames, uh, they heard the shouts, uh, but the attacks never came. About a year later, the chief of the tribe of, of those natives there came to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, trusted Christ as a Savior. Patton, remembering the account of a year before, asked the chief of the, of the tribe, he said, when you guys, when you came to attack our home a year ago, however was he put it, so when you came to attack our home, why, why, didn't, you, why didn't you attack? Why didn't you, why didn't you kill us? And the chief of the tribe said, it was all those big men with you. And Patton said, what are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about, big men? It was just me and my wife were in, in the house. And the, and the chief insisted that your home was surrounded by hundreds of men in shining garments with swords drawn. And he said, when we saw them, we were terrified and we ran away. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, 
the, we're, we're never out of God's sight. We're never out of God's presence. Uh, they were never alone in the midst of all that. Okay, now listen, here's what this means uh, for you. Here's what you got to think about. Here's what this means for you. Uh, first off, you have to make a conscious choice. This is what I'm saying to you. Now you have to make, this, this, is, this is on you. You're, grown, you're a grown adult <laughs> claiming to be a follower of Jesus if you, if you are here. You have to make a conscious choice to believe God, to believe what His Word says, or to believe your adversity, or to believe your circumstances, or to believe what your adversary would say to you. You're alone. God has abandoned you, abandoned you in this. It's, it's all on you. You're, you're, you're going to have to make a conscious choice to say, and I'm, I, I tell people this all the time, say it out loud. Just say it out loud. Who cares if the people think you're crazy or not? Just, just say, God, no. No, I will not believe my circumstances. I will not believe this adversity in my life. I will not take it. I believe you. I believe what your word says, that you are with me, that you care for me, that you will walk with me, and that you accomplish your purposes through me and through this adversity. So God, I will choose to believe you. You have to do it. You have to make this conscious choice in the middle of what's going on in your life. And here's the deal. Your flesh does not want to do that. Your flesh will want you to do exactly the opposite of that, so, which, is, this is, which is the second idea. You have to make a conscious choice, and you have to take a correct course. The correct course is toward, anybody want to say it? Jesus, toward God, toward Him. But that's not what people do, is it? Oh, so hard. It's so hard. Oh, oh. And, and, and I'm not, uh, listen, I'm not making light of your, uh, what you're going to. I'm just saying, that's what we do. We run away from, I've, listen, this is one of the great heartbreaks of ministry. I've seen it time and time again in people's lives. A little adversity comes into their life. A little hardship, a little trial, a little difficulty, or maybe a major one. But, but what I will see is I will see them tend. They'll just begin to just kind of move away. Just kind of move away. Maybe, they, maybe they, just, they just show up for church every, every once in a while now, because we've had a lot going on. Maybe they begin to slide out of, out of some, the, some small group or intimate thing that they're involved in, because, well, we, you know, we just, maybe they just drop away from their service because we just, we just needed a break, and we just, and I'm telling you, I've seen it so many times, and before long, there's no, there's no evidence in their life anymore of an intimate, personal walk with Christ. They walk from, listen, can I, can I share with you, um, you see this in the Old Testament. You see it over and over again. You see this pattern of, of Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Uh, God's chosen people, the people he had a special relationship with and a special purpose for. They, they, would, they would be in good shape with God, and then they'd go run away from God for some, whatever reason. They'd go chasing other gods, or adversity would come, and they, all this would happen time and time and time again. One of those times is what I believe is one of the saddest passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. One of those times, it's recorded in Zephaniah uh, chapter 3, and the prophet Zephaniah said this, she, referring to specifically the, the city of Jerusalem, but it just means the people of Israel. Look at this. She heeded no voice. She accepted no instruction. She did not trust in the Lord. She did not draw near to her God. Is that sad? Yeah, I'm telling you, I've seen it in so many people's lives, you have to make a conscious choice and you have to take a correct course. Listen to me. When adversity makes a beeline for you, you have to make a beeline for God. You have to. Because, as the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Draw near. Don't run away. Draw near 
to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of what? Say it. Need. What are you doing running from him? All right, real quick. We've got to move. We've got to move. Uh, third third uh, truth. He has power over adversity. This is why you've got you to believe this, that his presence, that you have his presence in adversity because he has power over adversity. Wait, I, I don't... I don't. <laughs> I don't believe y'all believe that. Would y'all say that out loud with me? He has power over adversity. All right, let's, verse 49. Y'all still with me? Listen, I know it's hot in here. I, I can assure you the school system promised me the air would be fixed this week. <laughs> but yeah, I know. The gym, the gym, they got that. Eh, never mind. We will communicate more this week. Verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. We, he has power in and over the adversity. Jesus' power is, is all over this thing, folks. I mean, it's all over this thing. First, here comes Jesus walking on the water. That's kind, of, that's kind of a cool thing. You don't see that very often. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. By the way, uh, you, if you, if you just, we just read this, uh, and if, if you're familiar with Scripture, you may be thinking, oh, wait a minute, it, doesn't Peter get out of the boat somewhere and, and walk towards Jesus, and, and then he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he sinks, and yep, that, that's here, but Mark doesn't record that. Isn't that interesting? Mark doesn't record Peter's getting out of the boat. Some of you may know this. Uh, most scholars believe that Peter was Mark's source for his gospel letter. <laughs> so I know they're writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? So I know they're writing what God wants, but apparently Peter did not want that one told. <laughs> but listen, I, uh, what I want, uh, what I, what I, that's truly, it's what I believe. Uh, I think, I think Peter, uh, Peter didn't want to focus on, 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 on his Failure, he wanted to focus on Christ's success. I really think that's what Peter wanted. It wasn't about him. And besides, Mark, we said this all about the action. He tends to focus on the actions of Jesus, not on the actions of others. But anyway, Jesus comes, he's he's walking on water. That's kind of cool. Uh, Mark says when he gets into the boat, it becomes perfectly calm. As soon as he gets in the boat, pow, perfectly calm. That's kind of cool. John, in John's account, John tells us that not only did it become perfectly calm, John tells us that, and I forget exactly how John puts it, but what he says is that when Jesus stepped into the boat, they instantly were at their destination. It's as if God reached down and took them out of that storm and placed them on the other side of the lake in perfect calm out of the storm. You, you can even see his, his power in, in that latter part of, of, verse, uh, of chapter 6. We didn't read it all, but that last 53 through 56, where 57 when it comes to shore, 56, and is performing miracles and healing more people. It's his power. It's all over that. He has power in this. Now, listen to me. I'm going to get technical with you for a minute. Stay with me, all right? Uh, we're, 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 whoa, wow. All right, stay with me. All right, listen, listen. Uh, there's this t- and there comes this place where uh, the, the disciples are freaking out, right? The disciples are freaking out. Y'all with me? Oh, oh, oh. You know, I mean, and I don't think they're freaking out from the storm, but they see Jesus and they're freaking out. They're freaking out. Here comes Jesus. And, and so they're terrified because they think that it is a ghost. 
And Jesus says to them, take courage. And the text translates it, it is I. Here's an interesting thing, though. And let me tell you, that's an absolutely proper translation. It's not incorrect. Uh, but what Jesus actually says, when he, after he says, take courage, he actually says, ego me, I am. Some of you may know that I am is the, the name that God gave for himself. In the book of Exodus, when, the, when, the, when he sent Moses to the nation of Israel to bring them out of captivity in Egypt. And Moses is like, uh, uh, okay, I've been gone 40 years. They don't really know me. Who should I say has sent me to do this? Watch this. Here's what God says. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It is, the, it is the self-proclaimed name of God for himself. I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the one who was. I am the one who is. And I am the one who will forever be. I am. And listen, just Jesus uses this term. It's not the first time he uses it. Another time he uses it in John chapter 8 and, and the, in a conversation with the religious leaders and they picked up stones to stone him. There's only one reason they would do that. They understood that he was claiming equality with God. In that moment, look at it. We might as well see it, right? We got time. John chapter 8. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. You're not even yet 50 years. They're in this conversation with Jesus. You're not even yet 50 years old. And, you've, and you have seen Abraham? Abraham's been, been dead for more than a, probably a couple thousand years at that point. 1,500 years at least. And you've seen Abraham? Watch this. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am And what? Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. By the way, it's just me, but I think that was just some some kind of uh, divine cloaking device or something. I I, I I can't see Jesus, you know, ducking behind columns or whatever to not be seen. I think he just. But the point is, they picked up stones to stone him because they understood that he was claiming to be God in that. So listen, like I said, I'm, I'm I do digress, but listen, the point is. To say, take courage, it is I. There's nothing wrong with that interpretation, and it's just fine. But I, I think you can make a pretty good case, given the context of the storm, the context of their fear, I, I think you can make a pretty good case for Jesus saying to them, take courage, I am. I am the self-existent God. I, what in the world are you so afraid of? He has power. He has power in the storm. All right, uh, I, I, we gotta, we got to move on real quickly. Uh, the last, last fact, uh, there is an intended product of adversity. Let's get to it real quick. There is an intended product of adversity. Verse 52, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Notice the connection between what he has just done and what has happened out there on that lake. For they had not gained any insight from the instant of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. I said at the beginning that there was a purpose in adversity, and the purpose in adversity is the product. And the product, here it is, whether we like it or not, the product of adversity from God's perspective is, should be, he wants it to be faith. Faith is the intended product of adversity. Because like I said, I mean, I, I, I don't... It's pretty strong here that Jesus sent them into this storm by themselves for a while, but like I said, he was with them. Now listen, it's hard for us, right? Let's be honest. It's hard for us 
sitting here, and Cindy and I had the same conversation. It's just hard to believe that they could have just seen Jesus feed thousands and thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. They just saw that incredible miracle. And yet they couldn't believe that, that he could walk on water. Right? I mean, they could see it. They were right there. Mark tells us the reason. It was the hardness of their heart. Now, listen, here's a truth that you need to get a hold of. Uh, if, you, if, you don't already ha- if you don't already know this truth, here's the truth. The heart drives the head and not the other way around. Because listen, here, here's the deal. If you, had, if you had walked up to those disciples, they're on the shore, they haven't, they haven't left you, right? They're in the boat, they're getting ready to get in the boat. If you had walked up there and you'd come up to the disciples and you said, and he said, hey, uh, brothers, do you guys think that Jesus uh, could walk on water? Uh, listen to me, listen to me. They'd have been on that like a monkey on a banana bread cupcake. I'm telling you, they'd have, been, they'd have been like, oh, yes, brothers, amen, hallelujah. Our rabbi can definitely walk on water. He just fed thousands and thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. Of course he can walk on water. What are you talking about? See, they knew it up here. I, I, can, I, I guarantee you, they knew it up here. But out there, in the dark, in the wind, in the storm, with the boat rocking, The heart takes over, and the heart produces fear and anxiety and doubt. Listen, you saw a perfect, uh, this this idea that the the heart drives the head and and not the other way around. You saw a perfect example of this, I think, just this past week, where the United States Supreme Court officially ruled that it was not unconstitutional for town hall or public meetings to open in prayer. Uh, Now, listen to me. I I applaud the the decision. I, I really do. But here's the deal. Every one of those chief justices had the exact same information in front of them. They heard the exact same arguments. They all know exactly the same historical correlation relationship between the founding of our country and our government and the place of prayer within that in the public arena. They all knew that. They all knew it up here. But it was the heart that drove the decisions. And by the narrowest of decisions, by a five to four decision... The United States Supreme Court, who all looking at the same evidence, who all know the same historical context, by the narrowest of margins said, oh, well, okay, it, it's, uh, it's okay to have, it's constitutional to have prayer in a, in a public meeting. Never mind <laughs> that the people who, who wrote, ratified, signed the Declaration of Independence did so by opening in prayer. But see, that's what I'm saying. Same data. But two totally different conclusions. You, see, you can see, look at the same thing in the scientific arena when you begin to look at the, at the data that's available and, 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 and uh, some scientists look at it and say, this clearly shows design. This clearly shows a God. Other scientists look at it and say, this clearly shows uh, that natural selection is taking place. Clearly shows that, that no God was needed. The exact, you understand what I'm saying? The heart drives the head and not the other way around. It does. Listen, can I, real quick. Oh, I'm Y'all are awesome. Listen. Listen. Well, yeah, all y'all that are saying, all right, go ahead. I appreciate it very much. I really appreciate it. But grab six other people when this search is over and help, get them to help us tear down because we, we still got to do that. All right. <laughs> no, y'all are great. Listen, I want to read you the story uh, about uh, John and Betty Stam. Real quick, I'll just read a short part of it. Uh, really a letter that they sent. John and Betty Stam were missionaries to China uh, in uh, 
the early 1930s, just before the communists, or they were, the communists were in the process of taking over China. They still hadn't taken it over. But John and Betty Stam were sent to serve in a, in a part of northern China where there had been communist uprising and, and severe trouble and some persecution of missionaries. But the China Inland Mission... mission uh, and the Chinese government assured them, oh, it's good, it's safe, it's all good, you won't see any communist activity, uh, go there. Uh, they give birth to a child, and the child is about two or three months old uh, when they head to this, uh, to this area where they're sent. The, as it says here, unfortunately, both the Chinese and the CIM officials had seriously misjudged the situation. The stems arrived at the end of November, and before the first week of December had passed, so they, they'd been there a week, they had been attacked in their home by communist soldiers. Um, though placed under heavy guard, John was permitted to send a letter to his superiors. This is what I want you to see. This is what heart faith looks like, ladies and gentlemen. So here's the letter he sends to China Inland Mission, Shanghai. Dear brethren, my wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communists in the city of Tsangeth. Their demand is $20,000 for our release. All our possessions and stores are in their hands. But we praise God for peace in our hearts and a meal tonight. Watch this. God grant you wisdom in what you do and us fortitude, courage, and peace of heart. He is able and a wonderful friend in such a time. Things happened so quickly this, e- this a.m. This is the day they arrested. They were in the city just a few hours after the ever-persistent rumors really became alarming so that we could not prepare to leave in time. We were just too late to get out. Here's how he closes the letter. The Lord bless and guide you, and as for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. And they were paraded through the streets, stripped of their clothes, and executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Did God love the patents that we talked about earlier more than he loved the stamps? No. What does it mean? Look, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Here's what it means for you. Recognition is your job. And that's not a blank to fill in or anything. It's just uh, it's something I added last night. You, recognition, it's your job to recognize that, that you are not alone in the adversity. And you're going to have to make that conscious choice. It's your, your uh, job to recognize that you're not alone in the adversity. It is your job to recognize that he has the power over your adversity. And listen to me, watch this. It is your job to recognize that he is God and that you are not. And that his sovereign will is ultimately what is, is accomplishing things. Whether you and I can understand them, whether you and I can see them, whether you and I agree with what's going on from our limited perspective, that God has a purpose in it. You have to recognize that fact. And then second, resolution is his job. You see, that's where you have to leave it. How this gets resolved, how this adversity comes to be resolved is in God's hands. As, As John Stamm said, whether in life or in death, may God be glorified. You have to be willing to say, 
How, listen, and I know we do that. How many times do we say, God, please, God, please get me out of this. God, please get me away from this. God, please bring this to a resolution. When we ought to be saying some things like, God, Whatever your will is, that's what I want done. God, whatever brings you the greatest glory, that's what I want done. God, what can you teach me in the midst of this adversity? God, that's what I want to learn. Resolution is his job. Now listen, I intentionally told you two stories today of missionaries. One who was miraculously delivered, one who was brutally murdered. I brought you both of those stories so that you could understand that God is God over both situations and that you have to trust him in that situation. Here's, here's the best way I can, can end this. John, uh, John Patton, back to Patton. When he first went to the New Hebrides Islands, he received a lot of opposition from some older ministers, older pastors. That why, why, would he, why, would he, why would he take his wife and, and go to that vast, unreached part of the world, South Pacific, and why would he go down there knowing the history of, of the people that had been cannibalized down there? And one, one particular elderly pastor named Dixon, Reverend Dixon, just in, in a meeting one night, shouted, what about the cannibals? You'll be eaten by cannibals. And, and this is what, listen, this is how we'll close. This is how John Patton responds. Look at this. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you, if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Father, thank you that that's the God that you are, that that, that it's even possible, I, John Patton, to, to write that kind of response and John and Betty Stam to have that kind of faith in adversity is something that I, that I envy and I cherish and I desire in my own life. And even as I say that from my own lips, that comes with fear and trepidation because I know that there is purpose in adversity and you will use adversity to bring me to that place where I can understand and have that kind of intimate relationship with you and that kind of faith in you, in Jesus' name. The heart drives the head, not the other way around. Thanks, Pastor, for that timely reminder. Most of us, like the disciples on the lake, know that Jesus can do anything. But in the middle of our adversity, our heart causes us to doubt that truth and fall victim to fear and anxiety. Adversity in our lives can produce faith for our lives. As Pastor Clay mentioned today, instead of asking God to get you out of your adversity, maybe you should ask Him to teach you through your adversity. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.